Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Good day and welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, We're back and we're delighted to have with us a, a, a guest who's been with us a number of times. He's the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. And that would be Kevin Leonard. And uh, Kevin went to the association in June of 2009. So who says that you can't hold on to a job? I mean, that's... Yeah. I, can't, a, I can't believe they keep they keep me around, Don. <laughs> well, that's right. That's 12 years. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, well, Kevin, you know, we uh, I guess we start off almost every program these days talking about no matter who we're talking to, we talk about how the pandemic and the COVID-19 crisis has affected uh, the, the various and sundry people that we talk to. And of course, you, your association represents all 100 counties of North Carolina. Counties run school systems. Counties, of course, provide lots of other services. So I suspect uh, that no one overall has been much more involved with the COVID-19 uh, ramifications than the counties, the 100 counties of the state of North Carolina. Absolutely. Well, Don, thanks so much for having us back again. It's always a delight to be able to um, talk with you and and be on your program and help to tell your listeners about county government in the state of North Carolina, their county government. Um, And you're absolutely right. You know, as you as you said, and that's a good trivia question for your listeners. There are 100 counties in the state of North Carolina. It's a good even number. Um, You know, I've always been fascinated uh, doing the work that that we get to do here that just about everything, everything you can think of a county government does. And, uh, and, and, and you probably don't realize it going through your daily life, uh, how much county government uh, really interacts with an individual. And so for this particular case with COVID, the county has been on the front line of, uh, of, of tackling the pandemic. And for about a year now, we are, as we're recording this, it's about a year in um, since our first case was yesterday, uh, a year ago, that counties have kind of been in emergency management mode for an entire year, which, you know, counties are on the front lines of emergency management when it comes to natural disasters like hurricanes and fires and, and, and things such as that. So we're you know, that's a role we are normally playing, but for an extended amount of time for a year, it's pretty uh, significant. It's starting to take its toll. I think people are tired, just like in the public of, of the pandemic. But um, it might be good, Don, to talk about the system of government in North Carolina. Sometimes we talk about this in, in on the show about, you know, the role of, of local government, of county government, the level closest to the people. But in the state of North Carolina, it's not like this all over the nation, but in, in North Carolina, the state government um, really relies on county government as the arm of government that delivers services directly to the people. And how this has been impacted with COVID in the pandemic is that the counties in North Carolina are responsible for public health. The public health departments reside in county government, the social services resides, uh, delivery of services, resides in county government. And uh, so basically all your health and human services functions rest at the, at, the local, at the local level, at the county level. So you're talking about uh, a lot of authority at rests with the county government as it relates to health inspections. Um, the public health director has a lot of authority in, in making sure 
on some of these uh, the the local mandates. Of course, you have the state mandates in closing you know closing businesses, restaurants, enforcing health and public safety uh, at the local level, and then of course from the social services aspect of it, um, we have a colleague or I had a colleague who called you know county government the front door to democracy. If you're walking through the uh, county door, you're walking through the front door of, of government basically, and we interact with with government. I'm so sorry. That's my phone in my office, which is an old style rotary phone. So I don't know. You, your listeners just get a little nostalgia there. So I'll turn that off here in a second. Sorry about that. But anyway, I, just, by the way, we have upgraded to newer phones since the rotary phones. I just want to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> I just have that one around for fun. But anyway, um, so, so the county government is on the front lines, especially in the health and human services arena. And right now, and I'll and I'll end because I know I've been talking a long time, uh, is that we are on the front lines of the vaccination process. So when the emergency happened, the pandemic hit, we were on the front lines of basically saying, "Hey, we got to like shut things down and and keep order and make sure people are safe from a health perspective." Now we're on the front lines of organizing along with the state health and human services department how people are getting vaccinated, because that's the role in an emergency situation of the public health department to roll out the vaccination process. So you can either go to a local health uh, provider or primary, uh, the primary function right now with health health departments is rolling out the vaccine process. So anyway, a long-winded answer, Don, to your question of how it's impacted us, and there's a lot more uh, to go into there. Well, I will, one day I want to get into the whole thing of how we ended up with 100, exactly 100 counties and why we don't have 101 or 98. But when you look at the map, it makes perfectly good sense. There's a couple of uh, counties that are a little larger than maybe uh, uh, and maybe could be split. But uh, we have 100 counties. Now, having said that, all counties are not equal. And you've got some very large counties like Wake and Mecklenburg and Guilford and Forsyth. Durham, uh, for example, and then you've got some very small counties, uh, counties that have four and five thousand people in the whole county, mm-hmm. uh, and we have some churches in Nor- in Raleigh that have more than four thousand members. Yep. So I, I, I suspect that uh, what you're dealing with in those is a, an entirely different set of problems than uh, for each. I mean, the, the the larger counties have a problem with the the size of being large, and the small counties don't have a lot of people to go around. Absolutely. And, and if you, we always say, if you've been to one county, you've been to one county, right? They're all different uh, in terms of how they they work and operate and serve their residents. However, from a statutory, from the law standpoint, every county has the same statutory responsibility to deliver those services I was just talking about, whether it's health and human services or whether it's like building schools or courthouses or jails or delivering those basic necessity needs, water and sewer, utilities, you know, those types of things that some counties do. They all statutorily have that responsibility. So no matter if you're a, a county the size of say Mech or Mecklenburg or Wake um, or your Tyrrell County and uh, you have 4,000 people, you still have to deliver the same level of services. Now, how this is sort of manifesting itself presently, and I'll talk about vaccines again, because 
it's an, it's an, it's really front of mind for uh, so many of us getting uh, the vaccine for the pandemic for the COVID um, uh, uh, virus. That uh, the best way presently, and again, this has never been done before. So people are working on on this as we're we're going through it, is to allot some of those vaccines uh, by population, and and the hope is that you know you're responding to. The population in in your uh, in your county. That said, the bigger issue with the vaccine right now, and then people may you know, there's been a lot of um, uh, conversation about about it. Is that the there's just not enough of it coming from the federal government, and that we we don't have the supply yet to 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 meet the demand. But we're doing the best that we can to get those amounts of vaccines based on the populations within the county that you are seated in, excuse me. Um, also there's, and it gets into some complex math of like getting additional dosages uh, given certain populations with, within your county. But yes, uh, to, to answer your, your overall question, yeah, every county is a little bit different and they have their own struggles, but yet they still have to deliver exactly the same things uh, as I mentioned before. Well, one thing uh, I, I should have done this in the first part of the program that's uh, fairly unique, I think, in your uh, situation is the name of your association is the Association of County Commissioners, not county governments. Now, yes, the League of Municipalities, the cities are the members. And, and uh, what, what the, uh, what, what's the basic difference in that uh, philosophy? Well, uh, thanks for the question, and it provides an opportunity for me to talk about the origins of our association. Um, uh, our association was founded in 1908, so we've been around a little while, and we were originally formed by the General Assembly. So we were this interesting quasi-governmental organization, uh, association of counties, basically to speak on behalf of all of the, the counties in the state. Which, by the way, when we were formed, to your question or your comment earlier, there were 98 uh, counties in the state. They changed that in 1911. And so that got us up to, uh, you're right, we should have a whole you know, conversation about, about that or on another program. But that rounded it up to about 100 um, uh, counties. And, uh, and our organization exists to work for the 100 counties. And when I said, and as you mentioned, county commissioners, uh, we do represent the 587 county commissioners in the state of North Carolina. That number changes occasionally because uh, counties can redistrict themselves and the, and the General Assembly can, can move some things around in terms of number of seats on boards. Typically you have about five or seven there's a couple of counties that have nine, but typically it's a five to seven member board. So in the state of North Carolina, as I said, you have 587 county commissioners. But the associations that unique in that we literally represent the entire county. We are led by a 50 member board of county commissioners from across the state. Those, those are my bosses. I work for that board. I work for a smaller group of executive committee uh, members who are elected by our membership. But generally speaking, we're governed by that that board uh, of of directors. But we represent and we work with all 100 county managers in the state of North Carolina with all the department heads. So when we walk down to the legislative building to advocate for our counties and be that communication chain between state government and county government, 
we walk in the door and we have the ability to speak with one voice for all 100 counties and the count and the state takes advantage of that and again that's what the assembly was thinking back in 1908 is they need one source to go to if they've got a a significant uh, challenge before them they need they need someone to to sit there with them to to uh, basically organize and speak for all 100 North, uh, North Carolina counties and that is the ori- those are the origins of the association well it is uh you know it, it is good when you can speak with one voice and of course from time to time i suspect there are some conflicts between the wishes and the needs of the larger counties and the smaller counties but again that's a subject for another day our guest is uh, is uh, Kevin Leonard, and when we come back uh, with the next segment, we're going to talk about uh, some of the funding uh, problems that have been created by the COVID situation. The states actually ended up in uh, much better shape than they thought, but I want to find out how the counties are coming out and how they are coping with the financial situation and how they are looking at such things as school bond issues and things of this nature. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newspapers, uh, Newsmakers and our guest, Kevin Leonard. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives. But he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with Kevin Leonard, and he is the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. And, uh, we are, of course, talking about uh, issues that affect the 100 counties of North Carolina. And I think Kevin said there are 587 county commissioners across the state of North Carolina. Well, Kevin, you know, money, of course, is always a great concern in good times and bad times. And uh, when the economy is moving forward, when it's moving backwards, uh, you've got counties that have a lot of growth going on. They've got needs. You've got counties that are actually shrinking in size. That creates money problems. Basically, how have the counties fared with their budgets? Uh, the state uh, is is in better shape than I guess we had all thought. But how have the counties fa- uh, fa- uh, faring during this uh, financial situation? Well, 
Again, thanks for that question, Don. You know, I think it varies, obviously, across the entire state, just as, as our counties are, are different. And we talked about that a little earlier, that um, you've been to one county, you've been to one county. So uh, each county is sort of dealing with the pandemic in their own way. I, I, I can talk about some broad themes uh, going back a year. And it might be helpful to for the listener to understand about the fiscal year uh, of a county, which runs exactly with the state fiscal year. And that goes from uh, July 1st uh, around, you know, to, to the end of June. So when the pandemic uh, started a year ago in March, when the when everything shut down in mid-March last year, uh, just like the state government, and the state government's in a little bit of a different boat because they, they ended up, not to get too technical, but they ended up not passing a budget. They ended up passing s- smaller budgets, which created a lot of a reserve in terms of what the state had. Plus, they had a significant amount of funding in the rainy day fund. So they came out uh, ahead in terms of their budget cycle, in terms of what they have in surplus right now. And again, I know that gets into some weeds, but kind of like that for county governments, the majority of county governments in the state of North Carolina took measures to budget very conservatively because that's typically when you start the budgeting process right now, February, March timeframe, when this is being recorded, it's March. And of course that was a year ago, March, when it, when it hit. So if there's any, silver linings, I keep looking for silver linings to this pandemic. I haven't found a lot of them, but one of them is that it hit at a time when they, they public leaders could take action on their budgets to basically start to hold funds back and then budget conservatively into the next fiscal year. So for that reason, I think that they're probably doing a little bit better than anticipated coming, at, coming into the next cycle of the budget, which again, we're, we're here now to, to look at the budget again this year. Um, additionally, I would say um, the sales tax, which counties primarily rely on two sources of revenue uh, for their county level budgets, property tax and sales tax. And that's in and of itself a whole nother uh, discussion and for another day, but how that works in North Carolina but for the most part, and again, generally speaking, online sales have, have risen and gone up because I think people are at home and they're buying stuff online and it's coming in. So sales tax revenues have come in at a rate that's a little bit above than anticipated or worried about. Now, that could fall at any point in time because the, the economy is, I think, in a fragile space but I'm not an economist, so I don't want people to think that. An issue that counties are very concerned about is is property tax collection. Because out of COVID, you have a a lot of of, um, of, of folks who are, you know, unemployed. Unemployment, our long-term unemployment rate is, I think I heard today uh, at a record in terms that it hasn't been this bad in terms of the long-term unemployment rate since the Great Depression. So you've got that stress on the economy and people are seeking assistance for rental assistance or mortgage assistance. And that's an indicator to me, sort of like the canary in the coal mine, trying to figure out whether they're going to be able to afford to pay their property tax. 
And counties rely significantly on the property tax to fund all of these things that we were talking about earlier, your public health departments, building your schools, building your courts, supporting your court system, building your jails, all of these fundamental things that people, again, as we talked about earlier, they don't realize that that's a fabric of their community, a fabric of what happens governmentally uh, at their at the local level. So that's an, that's an open-ended question yet on property tax. So I think people are still being very, very cautious. Now, two things that have helped, well, I should say one thing that's helped and one that's on the horizon is congressional action uh, that's propping up the economy. And I'm happy to talk about that further if you wanted to get into some of the things that are going yeah, on. Yeah, that Washington. was actually my, sort of my next question. But you sort of explain why the state is uh, in better shape than the counties because the state is not worried about property tax. They're they're worried about the sales tax and of course income tax. But uh, right. uh, but uh, uh, the new stimulus package uh, and some other previous stimulus packages have have covered some of the deficit. Uh, What's up in this new stimulus package that will help the counties of North Carolina? So I was thinking about this um, question and, the, and this particular issue, and, and there is something new in this package that was not in the previous package under the, uh, the former administration and the former Congress. And that is that there is money in this a new package, which as we speak is in Congress being debated and likely will be starting full debate in the United States Senate on Friday, uh, March the 5th, and uh, could be debated and potentially voted on by March 14th. Uh, so that's sort of where we are in the mix right now. And that, that particular thing is uh, funding directly to uh, local governments for revenue replacement if there is revenue loss. Um, in the first package that was passed by the former administration and the former Congress, there was money in there to help get uh, services provided for those things that I was talking about earlier, like um, the, the fundamental services of government, but it wasn't for revenue replacement. And there, there's a distinction there because people had to buy the, the PPE, the protective equipment, and fund also eventually efforts to vaccinate. And it's it's not inexpensive to set up a mass vaccination site or an ongoing vaccination site. And again, the county is chiefly responsible for, for doing that. And so those funds were allocated in the uh, first round of stimulus. Take, let me take a, a moment here in a second to stop and talk about the role of the stimulus, stimulus package from a micro, no, pardon me, from a macroeconomic level. And again, let me say, I'm not an economist. There's probably an economist out there listening to your program going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm listening to this guy. Anyway, but from my point of view of what macroeconomics is, with the first stimulus package and on the second stimulus package that's being debated right now, because you're talking about numbers that are unprecedented in stimulus package, 1.9 trillion, I believe, dollars. If you go back to 2008, when we went through the housing crisis and the housing bubble there, you know, we thought that was a big number. But now we're talking about these numbers that we've never even seen before through Congress. And so I think of it this way in terms of a macroeconomic viewpoint. Congress and the president 
Trump at the time, now Biden, what they're trying to do is just pump as much funding into the system, into the economy to make sure it does not fail. And they are sending those dollars out and primarily those dollars are being sent out to businesses across America so that those businesses do not fail. A small part of this, whether it's in the first package or whether it's in the second package and whether it's for revenue replacement or whether it's for provision of services in the local governments is to make sure that local governments do not fail. Because if your local government fails and they don't have the supporting revenues to come in, what happens? Well, we are obligated by the state government and the federal government to make sure that when you pick up the nine, when you call 911 and you pick up the phone because you've got an emergency at your house, you better be sure that the 911 call is going to result in the fire truck coming and the ambulance coming and the police officer coming. And without those funds, which we have to do, that really is in jeopardy of happening or whether it's your water and sewer systems working or your court systems, your public safety, your, your mental health programs. Those are all things that are run at your local level, at the county, at the county level. So that was a long answer again, I'm sorry, but it, that's the federal government doing its role to make sure that the economy is supported and we don't fail, we don't fall and fail and, and end up in another great recession or another great depression. So anyway, sorry for the macroeconomics uh, conversation no. there, but that's how it fits into the micro at the local level. Of course, another area that the county is so involved in is uh, school construction. And I suspect, I'm just guessing that uh, unless it was already in work, school construction just sort of stopped across North Carolina. Uh, do you see any uh, movement uh, ahead in this coming year where school bond issues might come back on the uh, agenda for some counties? So the we have a legislative goals conference every two years, and that's when our membership comes together to set our legislative goals priority, which I would love to tell you what our top five are. Uh, some of them will weave ourselves into this conversation a bit because number two is school construction. And, and at that goals conference, we had Senator... Uh, Berger, we had um, uh, Speaker Tim Moore and and Governor Cooper all speak to our membership, and all of them gave no gave um, hints. Some were more uh, hints than others were more outright saying, "Now's the time for an infrastructure bond," and schools is a primary piece of that infrastructure bond um, because the rates at which you can borrow money right now are so low. Now is the time to invest in infrastructure. And if you think about it, it does kind of seem counterintuitive in terms of like, well, the kids aren't in school. Why do you need to build schools? Well, they're coming back, fortunately, and they're not going away. And it's likely that they need more distance between their desks and you can't move those walls out too easily. So we're gonna have to figure out a way to rethink how we do this in building schools. And I would also add to that, increased technology for remote learning. And that means broadband, which is our number one legislative priority. And that's the deployment of broadband infrastructure in the state of North Carolina. They kind of go hand in hand. 
uh, in terms of building schools and broadband, although broadband has so many other, you know, uh, tentacles in terms of what it can help. And we've seen it in the sales tax revenues because there is broadband. We have the ability to communicate over Zoom, commerce, people, you know, watching their movies, as well as ordering stuff on Amazon. So, um, Anyway, let me let me bring it back to to uh, to the schools, and I, I know we, we need to, to wrap up here, but I do believe it's time for a a bond for schools, and now's the time uh, to to do that. Well, one of the things we want to talk about in the next segment is broadband because we're hearing that from every segment about how important it is to get broadband all across North Carolina, and uh, so we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that in the next segment. Our guest is Kevin Leonard. He's the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, and we will be back with yet another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that just got me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the executive director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners. Uh, and Kevin told us earlier, there are 587 of them that serve North Carolina's 100 counties. We've talked about a number of things. And, uh, and somewhere in the conversation, you mentioned that there were five goals that your association had. And by accident or otherwise, We've sort of covered two of them. One of them is broadband, and we touched on that a little bit, but we're hearing that from almost every segment of the population. The medical community says broadband is so important. We found out that uh, the counties that don't have broadband are having trouble with distant learning. Uh, those same counties, of course, uh, can have the benefit of telemedicine and uh, if we have broadband in every county. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, the economic growth of so many counties is being held back by that. And, and why is that important to the counties that have broadband? Well, the, you know, it's a drain on our economy. So broadband is very much a uh, part. So I want to go a little bit more into that before we go to those other three goals that you have that we haven't touched on. Uh, so where is the where is the money going to come for broadband expansion? And how much is it going to cost to get North Carolina, say, 99% covered? 
Great question in terms of the cost. Um, uh, I have seen and heard of estimates of in the billions. Basically, if somebody had struck a, a check for a billion or a couple billion dollars, we could potentially, you know, run wire and fiber and, and things across the entire state of, of North Carolina. Um, I don't know that that's uh, a, a the right number. It's probably more than that, frankly. Um, but even when you do that, you have to talk about um, what's what's called subscription rates in in the industry with the telecommunications industry. You know, if you get the wires out there uh, and you get the broadband out there, can the consumer afford the the subscription rate to to buy the service? And so that's another element, which is a subplot of element within the broadband discussion. But we're unfortunately we're not there yet in terms of having that debate. It's down the road because it's it's important to have that conversation. But the reason we're not there yet, as you pointed out, there's great disparity in the state of North Carolina as to who has coverage and who does not have coverage. And more and more, you have to talk about the speed of broadband. You're not talking about uh, DSL, you know, dial-up um, anymore. You're really talking about the need for a greater speed at a minimum uh, 25 megs. There are places that have fiber that are upwards of you know 100, even 500 megs of of down uh, of the ability to communicate over over the the speeds of the internet. That gets really a kind of above my 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 intellectual knowledge of what all that is. But it, it we're talking about newer technologies trying to get out to the hills and valleys, all the hills and valleys in the in the state of North Carolina, which. Our organization is the only statewide organization that represents every single hill and valley in the state of North Carolina. And uh, we we see that disparity greatly, especially in your more rural parts of, of North Carolina. I'll say that you could be in a big county too, uh, Wake or Meck uh, or Guilford for science. And if you, if you go outside of a, uh, a more densely populated area, you still may not have coverage. And so trying to get into those gaps, into those areas is really important so that we can make sure that everybody has the ability and the option to get into, you know, to have to sign up for, for broadband. So this gets us into the, oh, I was gonna read our, our, uh, our legislative goal on this, which again, 100 counties got together and adopted this particular legislative goal and ask our association to work on. Then after that, they voted it number one out of about uh, 40 or, or so goals. So to me, that says something. If you have 100 counties saying that this is pretty important and it's seek legislation, funding and other efforts to expand digital infrastructure, broadband capability to the unserved and underserved areas and residents of the state. And why uh, it gets really Im important to talk about those gaps is because from an organizational standpoint, the, we, we desire that the private sector, the telecommunications industry, do all they can to fill those gaps. I want to make sure that everyone listening hears me loud and clear say this, that county governments have zero desire to be in the business of delivering uh, you know, service, broadband service. 
we're county governments are pretty good and have been traditionally at investing in infrastructure, whether it's pipes uh, or or what have you, in terms of buildings and building things, that's that's where we do a lot of our work and have traditionally. So the reason I, I made a point to say that is because we want to partner with the telecommunications industry to help them build the infrastructure, to build the fiber lines, to what hang wire, to do whatever technology is out there, whether it's we I don't think we can launch a satellite, but whatever we can do to build the infrastructure internally in those gap areas and then lease that infrastructure or sell that infrastructure back to the telecommunications to ensure that everyone has the access needed. That is a role of government is when the free market, when the market seems to be broken or it's not going out to certain segments, that's where government, whether it's federal, state, or local, can step in and help. And why that's critically important here is because broadband is becoming more and more, as you put it, Don, it's just, it's making counties thrive. And those that do not have it, and those areas that do not have it, it's putting them behind. And they, right. And it's putting them behind, not only in, in uh, commerce, but it's putting them behind on access to healthcare. It's putting them behind on access, and the pandemic has showed this clearly, putting them behind on access to education, uh, putting them behind on access to public safety. And so I think, I think more now than ever, the pandemic has showed that there is a role for government to assist. The federal government is stepping in, and you ask where the money's gonna come from, the federal government has put significant dollars into grants to tele telecommunications industry uh, leaders to help push broadband out. The state has done that through their program called the Great Grant. County governments have the ability to give grants, but we need to change the language that's already in there because it's so unclear and murky that we've got to clarify that and plus the county government knows better than the state and the feds in terms of where to put the lines. That's we we live there. The county commissioners live there. They know what's unserved and not served, and they can vote to use county resources to put lines in the ground and then again lease that line or sell that line back to the telecommunications industry to provide broadband. North Carolina is one, I'm going to change the subject on you. North Carolina is one of, I think, 10 states in the union that has not uh, expanded Medicaid on the federal, with the federal aid program that's out there for the other 40 states. Um, has the County uh, Commissioners Association take any position on this issue? And if so, what is it? Very good question. Uh, we have taken a position on that issue and um, it's, it's making, well, first of all, it's a highly contentious issue, can be. Um, and we have members who are on both sides of that particular issue in terms of the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, we did talk about it as, a, as a, a, an organization and came up with language that supports uh, the state government's role in Medicaid and looking 
to them to figure out how to best serve those Medicaid populations. And basically said, you know, if it's, if it's beneficial to, to the state to take a role in, in figuring out how to better fund Medicaid, they need to figure that out. Um, long ago, uh, prior to, well, long ago is, I guess, relative for, for folks, but in the organizational structure here long ago in 2005, way back in 2005, um, the law changed in the state of North Carolina because Medic, uh, counties were actually uh, responsible for a portion of the Medicaid. And we were like the last state in the union where counties were on, uh, uh, you know, basically uh, they're helping to pay on the Medicaid side. However, the counties had zero responsibility or uh, ability to select what Medicaid was uh, services were eligible. So there was this conflict going that the state kept saying, well, we'll keep increasing the amount of eligible coverages of Medicaid. And then it was on the financial back of the county to support that. That changed, that mechanism changed. And of course, much to the better for, for counties. And, and the state took over that responsibility. Now, there was a swap, and I really wanna be clear about this, called the Medicaid swap, meaning that the counties gave up a portion of their sales tax to help the state fund that. So the state took a part of the county level sales tax and, and that gets into some real complex math, but it took a piece of that to help fund the state level of Medicaid. But it's, that's worked out, you know, very well. Uh, and um, so counties are, are very, I guess, cautious about entering into the Medicaid debate because it's really a state level responsibility more than it is a county level responsibility. And as you said, that it is a highly contentious uh, point and uh, good points on both sides of the issue. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, I understand the federal government is sweetening the deal a little bit, which may cause uh, some action on it. I understand that they are proposing some uh, additional expansion money that might cause North Carolina to take a second look at it. Could be. And I, I think that that's an issue, one of those issues that is evolving and has evolved significantly since probably the past two years. You might recall that that was the, that was the issue that kind of held up the budget for adoption uh, last year, right? Maybe, yeah, for the past two years. And that's what's resulted in this sort of stalemate on budget, on Medicaid expansion between the governor and the General Assembly. And so, uh, so yeah, uh, it's an it's a it's an issue uh, that still draws a lot of feelings. But as you said, I think that um, I think it's evolving, and I think that uh, you may see some type of resolve to that in the, in the coming session. We'll touch very briefly on lottery money. Is is uh, has this come up to the expectations of the counties? Say five or ten years ago, when the lottery was created. Uh, help uh, the school systems? Uh, is there still uh, hope for uh, more revenue from this source or are the counties happy with it? Yeah, so um, uh, originally when the lottery was adopted, um, the law stated that 40% of the lottery revenues were to be given to counties to build schools. And um, there's a, a long history in the state of North Carolina of the state and the counties partnering together on education. Um, for about a hundred years, 
and went back and this is just interesting to me. I did a study on this myself uh, and, and folks that I work with um, pulled together all this information that were, it, it, it yielded a, a chart that I was really, it was really cool to look at that I, every 10 years uh, with the exception around World War II, you know, starting back in the 20s, the state of North Carolina did a bond for school construction to help counties build schools. And up until the adoption of the, the lottery, which is around 2005, um, that, that proceeded, that, that happened. But then it was like, okay, let's not, let's not do the, uh, the, the bond anymore. Let's do the lottery. And so anyway, there's, it's a longer story. Maybe we can get into it a little bit further uh, at another time, but you'll be interested to hear yeah, the story about lottery funding. Kind of running out of time in this segment. We'll be back with one final segment with Kevin Leonard right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of, Ca of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the Executive Director of the North Carolina Association of County Commissioners, Kevin Leonard. And uh, we've talked about all sorts of things. We've spent an awful lot of time talking about uh, broadband and, of course, uh, COVID-19. Those are two things that uh, we opened the program with, but there's much more going on. And one of the things that uh, you mentioned earlier, Kevin, was the fact that uh, the association met and came up with, I think you said, like 40 goals, and they voted on it, and they came up with the top five. We've sort of covered broadband very in a lot of detail. Uh, for those of you who don't get the full hour version, you might want to go online and hear that segment. But that, of course, was number one. But let's go over those other four and spend a little bit of time talking about each one and how important it is to the 100 counties of North Carolina. Great. Don, thanks for that. And uh, again, sorry, I, I know I went on a long time about broadband, but you get me talking on no, broadband that's and I can go. So, so important to everyone. That's, that's fine. <laughs> Well, we actually covered number two, um, uh, I think, uh, fairly well. It's school funding about the bond and any additional funds for schools to build schools and school capital and, and renovation. So that's our number two legislative goal. 
Um, and we are, again, continue to work with the leadership in the General Assembly, as well as the governor on working on an infrastructure bond that would include, include school capital, as well as trying to up that number that we were talking about in terms of monies coming from the lottery fund earmark basically for school construction. So that's number two. Number three, this gets into some real county government weeds. Uh, when a county uh, has the ability to pass a local option sales tax, um, and more times than not, it's really focused at schools, school construction, or some specific type of project related to like, it's time to build a new courthouse, or it's time to build a new jail. The, 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 the legislative goal is to change the ability to create specific ballot language when you go to vote on it. Because right now, when you go to vote, it's basically a, a, a generic question. Do you want to pass your local sales tax option to increase your tax from X to X, right? Well, that doesn't really tell you why you're voting on that. So our membership has asked us to, to change the law that would allow for a county government to say, we're voting on building a new school. And it would be dedicated towards that, rev that revenue would be dedicated towards that source. So uh, that's goal number three. So basically I would say a transparency goal in informing and educating the, the public. Number four, a, a critically important goal for us is mental health funding. Mental health and substance abuse funding, which counties have a role in, in providing mental health services through our health and human services functions at the at the county level is just critically important. And as we come out, hopefully it's sooner rather than later, come out of this pandemic, I think we're going to see a great need for mental health services coming out of this pandemic because uh, of all of the issues that uh, that people are, are dealing with. So that's that's number four. And number five may not surprise our listeners, but it's basically to protect our county revenues and our county revenue streams. Uh, and so sometimes uh, the General Assembly or the federal government will want to uh, either wind those back or put restrictions on county government funding and how to raise those types of funding. And uh, we want to make sure that, that we have as, as many options at our disposal as we can in terms of the ability to to raise or lower, I would say, revenues for our counties. It, you know, a number of our counties and uh, counties in general have that responsibility of having that hand on the lever in terms of setting what the, the property tax rate is, as well as what the sales tax rate is on top of the state rate in their county. So protecting revenue streams uh, and, and the ability to, to do revenue, to collect revenue. Those are the top five goals of the association, Don. Well, your communications director, uh, Lacey, uh, pointed out that a number of counties have come up with some rather unique and innovative situations that uh, have actually uh, come about because of the COVID-19. You know, for example, this program, we're recording uh, by Zoom. Uh, Kevin is in one location. Uh, Jason is in yet another, and I'm in a third. Uh, so we're all learning some new tricks. What are some of the innovative things that some of the counties have done that uh, may indeed uh, prove to be very valuable later on. Well, I, I always say if you've got a really difficult problem in front of you um, and you got to work, you got to find a solution, go find a county commissioner and go find a county manager 
and you put them you put them on that problem and you're going to find some really unique uh, solutions. You know, we have a program here at the association. It's it's uh, it's actually funded by the local government federal credit union. So I'll, I'll put a plug in for them. They're great partners. They they help fund a program called the Innovation Awards. And every year uh, we highlight just some really imaginative and innovative solutions to really complex problems. And so it's not surprising to me now that we're here in the midst of a pandemic, you have counties who are, are standing up new programs to help in this particular situation. Henderson County created a vaccine strike team to cover nursing facilities and uh, that did not enroll in the federal government program to do so. So they um, uh, just uh, um, themselves came up with a program to go out there and involve their county employees, county staff, county uh, EMS folks to, to do a strike team that specifically focused on nursing homes. And I'm going back to the beginning of the pandemic when, you know, th these were some really unknown, uncharted territory, and they didn't know what they were getting themselves into, but it really had a major positive impact in that community up in Henderson, in Henderson County. Jackson County, uh, they participated in a surveillance pilot program for wastewater monitoring to detect COVID, and that's now been replicated in uh, several places across the state. It's a great uh, program that you know give, gives uh, sort of a notice about what the levels of COVID are uh, utilizing their wastewater treatment facilities. Um, a number of counties, so I'm just gonna pick out one, but um, Randolph County, but Randolph's just, uh, which is right in the middle of the state, is emblematic of so many other counties in the state of North Carolina that have put up systems to help small businesses, um, to help make sure that they, they, they are able to stay afloat and when we were talking earlier, Don, about the, the stimulus package, especially the first one back in, um, I think that was the April timeframe of 2020, those dollars were uh, granted to local governments, county governments in our case, to set up programs like that, to set up programs that were going to help small businesses. County, county governments rely on small businesses. They want to make sure that those small businesses stay afloat in their communities. They're the lifeblood of their communities. And so, again, numerous, if not all, of our counties were able to set up programs that supported them financially through these funds coming down from the stimulus package. And those were operated by the county government. Um, so, and just, uh, you have another a couple of counties, Yadkin County is, is one of them who hired their own COVID specialist during the pandemic that provides life-saving assistance to residents by bridging communications between patients and medical providers. Um, so you've got dedicated individuals being tasked with just this pandemic response. So those are just a number of, of creative uh, programs that are going out on out there. I could go on, but, uh, but, but I think that that hits on it. Well, you know, we mentioned earlier on that uh, one of the good things is the legislator, legislative uh, session is back. And uh, fortunately, they're not going to be as stressed as we had feared. That's the good news uh, as far as uh, assistance coming from the state. 
Uh, and of course, you'll be working with your counter organization, the League of Municipalities, which represent the cities. And of course, all the cities are part of the counties. Correct. They, they are so, indeed. Uh, I, guess, I, I guess the picture is not as dark as maybe a year ago we might have thought it might be. Yeah, you know, I think this is a situation where um, everybody sort of last year looking into unknown, that's always scary, right? And now we've, yeah. we've, we've, gotten, uh, we've gotten through this. We're not out of it yet. And the safety precautions are still necessary in terms of, you know, mask wearing and, and doing the things necessary to protect yourself and others around you. But yeah, I think things are looking up and the vaccine coming out at the turn of the year and sort of there was a lot of, I think, uh, conversation about, well, that rollout hasn't gone as smoothly as, as we had hoped or thought. But the fact of the matter is, and I, 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 my opinion, is that, gosh, we've never done this before. Yeah. <laughs> At least no one that I know has done this before. And when you're talking about vaccinating 10 million people, I think we're doing pretty good. Now, yeah, could well, it be better? In North Carolina, and, and that's just a fraction of the population of the entire country. I mean, I, I think, uh, relatively speaking, it's, it's going maybe better than some people might have feared. Well, that's that's the thing. You know, I have an opportunity to work with um, a lot of folks across the United States in the work that we do. And um, you may think the grass is always greener or, you know, they're doing it better somewhere else. But from my observation, um, we're doing it pretty well here in North Carolina. And it's also been my observation. And, you know, I get I get the opportunity to work with some extraordinary leaders across this state. County commissioners, no slight against our friends over at the General Assembly or in Congress, but our county commissioners are some of the best public servants you will ever meet. They, they put their name on their, on their ballot at the local level. They run for office. They get elected, and everybody gets to see them at the grocery store and at church and walking down the street. And every single issue that you've got, whether it's the garbage or whether it's a dog, you know, a loud dog, or whether it's building a school or mental health problems, you name it, they get to hear about it. They're living in the community. They're some of the most. They are right there and easily reachable. And that uh, uh, is always, you know, I, I made a list one time of people that uh, jobs that I wouldn't want to take. And uh, uh, one of them was city manager. Another was county uh, manager. And the third one was uh, head football coach of a county with only one high school. Uh, <laughs> those, those are the three jobs that I wouldn't want to take under any circumstances. Uh, because they are, uh, they they are, are tough jobs. really close to the public and everybody's got an opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, Kevin Leonard, who has uh, been uh, with the County Commissioners Association uh, since uh, June of 2009. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of the broadcast, or those of you who listen to the 30-minute version, you can listen to the full-hour version by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com, and you can hear the entire broadcast, or you can share it with a friend. We'll be back again next week with another interesting guest, and we'll look forward to seeing you at that time. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.